I invite you please to take your Bibles and go to John chapter 4, if you would please. The Gospel of John chapter 4, if you're visiting with us, need a Bible, or you left your cell phone at home, probably a good thing that you did, so it's not ringing while I'm preaching, just kidding. Uh, There's a Bible in the chair in front of you. They renumber the New Testament, so go to the back, page 74, in that black Bible in the chair in front of you. John chapter 4, page 74 in that black Bible. John chapter 4, we're going to finish the chapter today, verse 43 to 54. Again, John 4, 43 to 54. Let me read and then we'll jump in. And after two days, he went from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Therefore, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee where he made water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. Therefore he, hearing Jesus had come out of Galilee and Judea into Galilee, went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son for he was about to die. Therefore Jesus said to him, Unless you all see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The royal official said to him, Lord, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word which Jesus spoke to him, and he left. And going down, his servants met him, saying that his son was alive inquired of them the hour when he began to get better they said therefore to him yesterday the seventh hour the fever left him so the father knew that that hour into which Jesus said to him your son lives and he himself believed and his whole household this is again a second sign that Jesus did after he had come out of Galilee out of Judea into Galilee. As a kid, I I watched every single Bugs Bunny cartoon that there is. And I think I watched them probably about a hundred times. So I, I, for some, I just know them by heart. It's kind of sick. Um, The great part is my kids like to watch them too now. When they were sick, they're like, who is Bugs Bunny? Absolutely. Of course, uh, <clears throat> there's amongst the plethora of Bugs Bunny uh, cartoons. One of them was Bugs Bunny was a genie. You know, I dream of a genie with light brown hair from the 1937 song. Uh, never mind. Anybody, uh, Ward would know that. Or there's, there's Ward. Okay, yeah. And as a kid, I was wanting to to find a genie and be granted the three wishes. Right? Yeah. As a kid, you wanted that. Oh, what are going to be my three? What did I wish for as a kid? You know, that's not the real world. Even though we want it to be like that, you want to be granted three wishes? And what has happened is our culture has influenced us 
to think that way about God. To think of God that way. That he's our genie. And I would add, especially our American culture, and, and the drive within the prosperity gospel false teaching, that false doctrine from hell, from the devil himself, trust in Jesus will give you money. He's our genie who should give us stuff. I mean, if you really love me, you would do this for me. You would grant me my three wishes. That is infiltrated into the church. That is infiltrated into Christianity. That is infiltrated into our lives. And John and his gospel is calling his readers, come receive Jesus. Come believe into Jesus. Know Jesus. Trust him. And today he's going to show us, come receive Jesus, but he's not your genie in a bottle. Come believe in Jesus, but he's not your genie. He's not your slave. He is not your genie in a bottle. Yes, Jesus will satisfy you. Yes, he is our thirst quencher. Yes, the Father's food is so satisfying, but he's not your genie. Those statements walk us back through chapter four where Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman. Jesus is gonna satisfy you. He'll quench your thirst. And then in verses 27 to 42, uh, the Father's food is due with his will. It's satisfying. It's a good food. But just be careful that we don't go down the road of thinking that God is our genie. He's our slave. We are called to believe into or receive Jesus for who he is, not in merely what he gives to us. We trust him. We trust him, not just his gifts. He is no genie. He's the Messiah God for crying out loud. He's the Savior of the world. May we glorify and trust Jesus not for the wonders he can give to us but because he's so wonderful. So will we take him at his word even when he doesn't give us the things that we want in this life, job, spouse, children, a nice retirement, good health, a sure future, grandkids, a home, a loved one to come to Christ, fill on the blank. Do we trust him, taking him at his word? I was challenged with that this week in my own personal life. I'm going to take Jesus at his word even when he doesn't give me the things that I want or the things that you think you should have. As I said, may we glorify and trust Jesus not for the wonders he can give to us but because he's so wonderful. Awesome. 
lovely, great. Is he not the only God who's worthy of our total praise even when he gives us no sign? Isn't he worthy of our praise when our requests go unanswered? When you don't get what you want? Isn't he still worthy of praise? This is why the prosperity gospel is so dangerous to our spiritual growth and to the true gospel. Come to Jesus because he'll give you money? As Don Carson says, quote, miracles cannot compel genuine faith. So true. You know, as John completes this part of the beginning of Jesus' ministry here in the end of chapter four, he, he, he fills it with huge contrast and irony. The contrast between this Samaritan reception and Jewish or Galilean rejection and the irony of a father who prays for his son with the father who gave his son. So as we jump into this passage, I I want to encourage you in this way. Let this message allow God's spirit to work in your heart to reveal the true nature of your faith, the motivations behind your trust in God, and your willingness to take Him at His word. If you miss anything, don't miss this statement. That the Spirit will work in your heart and may He reveal what is the true nature of your faith. May he reveal what are the motivations behind your trust in God. And may he reveal your willingness to take him at his word. So those three aspects, revealing the nature of your faith, the motivations behind your trust in God, and your willingness to take him at his word. I'll show you that that slide again at the end of the service, so you'll have that. But notice how it begins as with Jesus the genie, not the Savior. Jesus the genie, not Jesus the Savior. Verses 43 to 45. After two days, he went from there into Galilee. This is the two days he stayed with the Samaritans. It takes us back to actually chapter 4, verse 3, when Jesus was coming out of Judea, he's going back home, home. Well, home is Nazareth. Well, yeah, but the home area is Galilee. You know, like you're, you're down in Phoenix or you're, you're at Tucson or you're away. When you come to the Verde Valley, that's home. I mean, home might be Cottonwood or Clarkdale or whatever, but the Verde Valley, that, this is your home, right? The area, that, that's the idea. Galilee is home. So he's coming back home. And notice, Verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Speaking of hometown, Jesus didn't get much honor there. And that word for, it explains what's going to follow. For, he testified a prophet has no honor in his own country. With his own people, Jesus was not honored versus, here's the contrast, the Samaritans who believed into him. 
In Samaria, there is abundant fruit. They unashamedly uh, trusted in Jesus with, with, with total open hearts. He's the Messiah. Uh, what did they say? He, we've come to, to, no, he's the Savior of the world. Verse 42. What about the Jews? They would only believe in him if he gave them a good show. Give us some good signs, Jesus. Come on. Possess us, buddy. And so he had said at one time, not recorded here, that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And there's the contrast. Those who we would think would reject him believed him to be the savior of the world, Samaritans. Versus his own people. You would think that the Jews would have received him. Uh-uh. He came to his own, but his own rejected him. Chapter 1. This is striking. But, and, and look at verse 45. Therefore, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Have you seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast where they also themselves went to the feast? They saw all the things, all the signs that he did. In Jerusalem at the feast, the cleansing, uh, the water to wine, there's probably other signs he did, but John just gives us seven. They saw and they were intrigued. But instead of responding, they rejected him because he wouldn't do things for them. That's what Jesus is going to mean when he says that in verse 48. He's going to bring that out. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Oh, we'll believe in you as long as you say, your wish is my command. Remember, uh, I dream of genie. For all of you like um, 45 and older. All of you less, less than 40 years old, sorry. You have no idea what I'm talking about. She's like 90 years old now. Isn't that weird? That's creepy. Anyway, sorry. We got digressed. Got sidetracked. They would only believe Jesus insofar as he would give them their wants and their self-desires. It was a faith that desires a cure not because of who Jesus truly is. There's the challenge. It's a magical belief as opposed to worshiping Christ for who he is. Listen to what one writer says, quote, it was dependent on the wonder arising from their sight of the signs, not on the realization that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Their very acceptance of him was in its own way a rejection, end quote. What was their motivation? Pure self-interest. Wow me. Do something for me. Give me something. Then, maybe I'll believe in you. Their intentions were shallow, showing they misunderstood the true identity of Jesus and why he had come. Give us a God who will give us the selfish pleasures of our hearts. That's the God of the American church. We want a God who's going to give us the selfish pleasures of our heart. We got a really good conservative in office. Really good conservatives in Congress. That's the kind of God we want. 
But what if God doesn't want to give you that? You still going to trust Him? What if God doesn't want to give you the selfish pleasures of your heart? You ever thought about that? And, and notice, unfortunately, for example, look at the example in verses 46 to 48. This guy is the example. Therefore, verse 46, he came again to Cana Galilee. That's where he made the water wine, the first sign. A certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. He wasn't of royal blood, but he was an official serving Herod Antipas. Some say he was a Gentile. We don't know that. But he's being used as an example of, of this shallow faith, of this do stuff for me faith. He's the example. Because notice verse 47. Therefore he, hearing that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son for he was about to die. He merely went to Jesus because he heard that Jesus came and could probably heal his son. Found Jesus begging him to heal his son because death was imminent. The father searched for life so he turned to Jesus who is the source of life yet not really realizing he's the source of life. It was only a belief that was motivated by getting his son healed because look at how Jesus describes everything in verse 48. This is key. Therefore, Jesus said to him, and he's directing it towards him, but he says, unless you all, you don't see it in the English, but it's plural in the Greek. Unless you all, or if you're from the South, y'all, Unless you all see signs and wonders, and you can't see this in the English, but it's literally ume, never believe. Unless I do things for you, you'll never believe. Unless I give you a miracle, you'll never believe. Unless I give you your desires of your heart, you'll never believe. He's linking this official to the larger group of his own people. All of them used Jesus for their purposes, not because of who Jesus truly was, is. Serve us according to our own self-interest. And Jesus criticized a belief that was motivated and based upon the witness sign instead of the object of the witness himself not to mention a belief that stemmed from wrong motives. Jesus rejected the kind of belief this official initially displayed and he saw right through him. And before dealing with his problem, he dealt with the larger problem. His own either rejected him or believed in him only insofar as he would fulfill their fascination for miracles or politics. The Jews were very happy to believe Jesus to be the Messiah. Come kill these stupid Romans so we can rule the world. That's how they viewed Jesus. Be that Messiah for us, Jesus. Destroy the Roman Empire so the Jews can rule the world. As long as you fit our political agenda, we will not believe in you. 
and such a challenge for us. May we glorify and trust Jesus not for the wonders he can give to us, but because he's so wonderful, awesome, lovely, and great. Do you need to trust Jesus today? Have you turned from your sin to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you need to repent and trust in him? Have you turned from your sin and put your hope in the Lord Jesus? He died for sinners. He rose from the dead. Repent and trust him. There's the gospel. Come to him with humility and be saved. Is he not the only God who is worthy of our total praise even when he gives us no sign? Isn't he worthy of praise when our requests go unanswered? When we don't get what we want? Jesus the genie, not Jesus the savior. Here's the example. But then notice what happens now in verse 49 to 54. Now he becomes more than a genie. Verse 49. The royal official said to him, Lord, says sir, should be Lord, Kyrios. Come down before my child dies. His desperation turned into a prayer, a prayer to Jesus. Begging him to heal, notice, heal his child. This is an affectionate term. Heal his child before he died. The belief, the request had changed. No longer just a miracle, please. Please. He had come to the place where he realized Jesus was his only hope and the only hope for his son. He was stripped of everything. And now this belief is now beginning to morph and change into something deeper, stronger. I'll tell you, it's when God strips you of everything precious to you is when you will choose one of two options. You will either cry out to God in dependence or you'll harden your heart and say no. God will strip you of everything that you hold so dear. He'll strip you of everything that's precious to you. And then he'll say, okay, what are you gonna do? Are you really gonna trust me in this? And you either cry out in dependence, I'm gonna trust you, or you say, harden your heart, say, no, I'm not gonna trust you. Forget you. That's what he'll do. And that's what Jesus does. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. Reminds us about John's sub-theme in his gospel. Jesus is a life. He gave life, he gives life. Life is only found in him. So would this royal official truly believe in the royal king? The real royal king? True king Jesus commanded He spoke life and it happened. Look at what the man does. The man believed in the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went. He believed the word from the word. His belief went from shallow, superficial, fluffy faith 
true, solid, sound faith, believing just the very word of Jesus. We only need the word of God as our collateral. To demand or expect anything more from God makes him into your genie. We only need his word. And if we demand or expect anything more from him, then we're making him into our genie we're making him into our slave. Look what happens. Verse 51. Going down, his slaves met him saying, his son lived. Even before he reached home, his servants came to him and told him, your son lives. The exact word Jesus used, by the way. Wonderful news, but even more important. Verse 52, he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Therefore they said to him, yesterday, the seventh hour, the fever left him. What was the exact time? When did it happen? And with total certainty, it was at the seventh hour. That's 1 p.m. That was the time he suddenly got better. Verse 53, Father knew that that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. The exact time Jesus said your son lives and it not only confirmed the healing of his son, but this confirmed the unique identity of the son who was sent by the true father. Notice the irony there. And it showed that God was so gracious to this man. Jesus was so gracious to this man. And then look how he responds. The end of verse 53, and he himself believed and his whole household. Now his belief, it became deeper, stronger, truer, sure, and then he led his household into that same belief. Uh-huh. True belief in Jesus is ready to share with others about who God truly is. So let's respond to our Lord the way this man responded. God stripped him of everything precious to him to bring him to the point where he said, it's all about you, O God. I'll trust you no matter what. You gotta get to that place. I gotta get to that place. We gotta get to that place. It's all about you. I'll trust you no matter what. And that's hard, isn't it? In 54, this is again a second sign Jesus did coming out of Judea into Galilee. Of course, Jesus did more signs. But this served as a second sign of connection to John's purpose in writing, in writing this gospel. These are written a person may believe that Jesus is the Christ. A person may believe who he is, not what he'll give you. You know, our thinking about God can be shaped by our context, our opinions, our imaginations, and our desires. Our thinking about God, it can be shaped by our context, opinions that we have, our imaginations, and our desires. It can be shaped by that. And it's this thinking that makes God into who we selfishly want Him to be for us. No, may we come to Christ 
in who he is, not in what we want him to be. May our belief be firm in his person and work, not resting on inappropriate objects, which is inappropriately motivated faith. Inappropriately motivated faith, that's what that is. No, trust him and his word. So will we take him at his word even when he doesn't give us the things that we want in this life? Job, spouse, you want children, a nice retirement, good health, a sure future, you want grandkids, you need a home, a loved one to come to Christ. Fill in the blank. Do we trust him and do we take him at his word? I told you I was going to put this up for you again at the end of the service that this message would allow, this message, let this message allow God's spirit to work in your heart may reveal the true nature of your faith. The motivation behind your trust in God and your willingness to take him at his word. You know, the great part about this is we're gonna fail in this, but that's why Jesus had to die. That's why Jesus had to die because you know what? What does Paul say? If we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. That's a good thing, isn't it? We can rest in his grace even when we sin and want him to give us the things of our heart and desires that we want and that's the only way, reason why we're even believing in him. I was reminded of the song by Laura Story, that song Blessings. The word here in John 4 reminded me of that. Some of the lyrics, um, she says, we doubt your goodness, we doubt your love, as if every promise from your word is not enough. That's a good line. She also says, when friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. And then this part, this is key. What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? It's revealing a greater thirst that I should have for Christ. Only Jesus truly satisfies us even without the benefits that he gives us because he's not our genie. Would you pray with me? Tough message, Father. But we are praying that you by your spirit from the word that was preached in this 35 minutes, whatever. The spirit of God, you'll work in our heart. Reveal the true nature of our faith. 
reveal the motivations behind our trust in you, O oh God. And we pray you reveal our willingness to take you at your word. And Father, we know we've fallen short. We know there's times where we, yes, we doubt your goodness, we doubt your love. Because we don't believe every promise from your word's enough. And Jesus, thank you for dying for that. For us as your people. What did the man say? Help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Give us your grace to trust in you. Show us grace. Show us Christ. And we confess you as we just sang. Jesus Christ, your Lord. No matter the circumstances, no matter where we're at in life, give us your grace to live this way. I encourage you, this time, just a few moments, a minute or two, and yeah, we'll sing, sing two songs, we'll pray, but just take this minute or two and fill your mind with truth. Fill your mind with the word. As the message was being preached and God was speaking from his word, maybe it was revealing just some things in your heart. Acknowledge that and confess that and repent and proclaim the gospel. Thanking Jesus that he died for that. Fill your mind, let your heart and your mind ponder and, and fill it with truth. This time between you and the Lord, would you do that now, please? Just a few moments.